Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a series of podcasts presented by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. In this episode, Scott Hansen talks about the Quaker Meeting House in Flushing, Queens, the first house of worship in the area and the oldest continually operating one in all of New York City. Often cited as the birthplace of religious liberty in America because of the famous Flushing Remonstrance written against the sectarian rule of Peter Stuyvesant in the Dutch era, the Meeting House now sits in perhaps the most religiously diverse neighborhood in the world. Hansen, a lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania, is the author of City of Gods, Exploring That Unique History. He began his research with the Pluralism Project at Harvard and did much of the New York City fieldwork for the multimedia CD-ROM on Common Ground, exploring world religions in the country. For more podcasts like this and for more Gotham Center programming, visit us at gothamcenter.org and sign up to our mailing list. Thanks for listening. The Friends Meeting House, or Quaker Meeting House, in Flushing, Queens, is the oldest place of worship in continual use in New York City, built in 1694. And I'd like to talk to you today about its history and the larger history of Flushing, Queens, and also what to expect when you visit. Local residents of Flushing often claim it's the birthplace of religious freedom, which is a little misleading, but it did play a significant and often overlooked part in colonial America and in the evolution of this fundamental principle of American democracy. Flushing is actually the anglicized form of the Dutch name Vlissingen, V-L-I-S-S-I-N-G-E-N, town in Holland, and its town charter of 1645 was one of the first in colonial America to grant religious freedom, or liberty of conscience, as it was called then, which was important to many in town who became Quakers or Friends. When this right was jeopardized by Governor Peter Stuyvesant, who took office in 1647, the same year George Fox founded the Society of Friends, he was bent, Stuyvesant that is, on persecuting anyone who was not a member of the Dutch Reformed Church, the official state religion. So the people of Flushing came together to defend their town charter in 1657 and drafted a document that has become known as the Flushing Remonstrance really a pioneering plea for religious freedom. Stuyvesant wasn't moved, however, and it wasn't until 1663 that another Flushing resident, John Bowne, welcomed Quakers into his house and was then arrested and ultimately banished. He made his way to Holland into the Dutch West India Company and appealed his case, bringing a copy of the charter with him, and the Dutch West India Company was convinced and they wrote a letter back to Stuyvesant saying, I'm paraphrasing here, we are not fans of Quakers and other religious minorities either, but guess what? It's good for business, and we want our colony to prosper. And so Bowne was free to return, and after he did return, that right of religious freedom was enjoyed more fully by the rest of the colony. That was in 1663. The next year, the British took over, and New Amsterdam became New York. But the British continued that policy. So Bound House uh, is actually the oldest house in, in Queens. It was built in 1661, and it's been operating as a historical society and museum since 1945, when it was declared a national shrine to religious freedom by Mayor LaGuardia. Today in Flushing, there are now 10 different places of worship just down the street, on Bound Street, with dozens nearby on the streets around Flushing. In fact, there are over 200 different places of worship in downtown Flushing, making it perhaps the most religiously diverse neighborhood in the world. 
So it's fitting that the birthplace of religious freedom is now home to all the religions of the world. So the history of Flushing didn't really start to become more widely known until the 19th century, when some of the first histories of New York State and Long Island were written, as well as books on the history of religion in America. It resurfaced again for the 300th anniversary of the founding of Flushing in 1945, and during the 1939-40 World's Fair held in Flushing Meadows Park, and then when the UN General Assembly was located in Queens before it moved to First Avenue in the late 1940s to the early 1950s, it resurfaced again in 1957 at the height of the Cold War for the 300th anniversary of the Flushing Remonstrance, when the U.S. Postal Service issued a commemorative three-cent stamp. Finally, Flushing was in the international spotlight again from 1964 to 65 for the second New York World's Fair. After that, it kind of faded again during the decline of the so-called Rust Belt, when many factories began to close down and many whites fled to the suburbs, leaving African Americans and recent immigrants and other low-income people in the inner city. That period of urban decline was reflected in Flushing as well but it coincided with the passage of the Immigration Act of 1965 that opened the doors again for the first time since the 1920s. The country was largely Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish, white and black. Legislation passed around the same time as the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act abolished provisions that discriminated on the basis of national origins and opened the doors wide again, leading to the diversity we would really see by 2000 when the U.S. Census showed that Queens had become the most ethnically diverse county in the country. So I'd like to go back to the early history of the Meeting House and how it evolved into the 18th and 19th and the 20th century. Around the end of John Bound's life in 1694, he and other Quakers bought land to build a Quaker Meeting House on present-day Northern Boulevard. It was the first place of worship in Flushing. At the general yearly meeting of Friends in Rhode Island in 1695, it was agreed that the new meeting house in Flushing would host the New York Yearly Meeting, which it did until 1778, when the building was used as a hospital by British troops during the Revolutionary War. But most residents in Flushing, excluding African Americans, were Quakers and came to the meeting house. Church records and letters indicate its popularity. William Penn visited from Pennsylvania in 1700, the guest of John Bound's son Samuel, and the congregation grew. In September of 1703, an estimated 2,000 attended the last day of monthly meeting. Some also traveled to it for the half-yearly meeting, as Flushing's Meeting House was for several years the only place of worship in Queens for miles. By 1719, the Meeting House had to build an addition. Although the colony enjoyed a greater liberty of conscience by the end of the 17th century, that did not mean that there would not still be dissensus or conflict. By 1700, the Church of England had also moved into Flushing and opened up St. George's Church on Main Street, around the corner from the Meeting House. Suddenly, there was competition for souls by the end of the 18th century, it was clear that the effects did cause numbers to dwindle. One member in 1786, uh, Elisha Kirk, wrote, quote, We rode to John Bounds and attended meeting, but it is much decreased in numbers from what it formerly was. Despite lower attendance, 
causing the yearly meeting to move to nearby Westbury on Long Island in 1778, there were still notable moments. One friend wrote in 1797 of a monthly meeting that lasted six hours, calling it a glorious meeting. I thought I had never been a witness to such a solemnity at any meeting for so long a time together. Things, again, would change by the 19th century. The Society of Friends became an ally in the struggle for abolition, one of its notable stances, quite ahead of their time in that regard. Slavery was still acceptable among most Quakers until one um, journal written by a Quaker minister named John Woolman began to circulate in 1749. The following year, the New York Friends meeting voted that henceforth no Quaker could import slaves, a position that gained greater emphasis in the 1770s with the urging of another influential itinerant minister from Long Island named Elias Hicks. Publishing and disseminating freedom narratives based on oral histories of escaped slaves, Hicks' outspoken conviction awakened many to the cause. His views on salvation estranged some, however, and in 1827, the Flushing Society split into Hicksite and Orthodox factions. The meeting house in Flushing reflected this shift, and became Hicksite. The Orthodox built a new meeting house just east of the old one by 1854. Many Quaker families on Long Island assisted blacks on the Underground Railroad, with perhaps the most notable being Samuel Bound Parsons, the son of the nursery owner and the abolitionist Quaker preacher, and a Bound descendant through his mother. There's a quotation about him that read, It was his boast that he assisted more slaves to freedom than any other man in Queens County. Quakers had taken the unpopular stance of abolition even as they lost outside respect for their pacifism fighting in the Revolutionary War, which very few Quakers did. It's no coincidence that the number of friends began to dwindle from the time of the Revolution into the mid-19th century. Many moved to Canada or the West Indies. Some of them were drawn to new denominations that were sprouting in Flushing, which reflected the denominational explosion Methodists and Baptists and many other denominations in the Catholic Church as well. Quakers were also seen as problematic, disturbers of the peace. In fact, the word Quaker is an epithet. A friend is the preferred word. Quakers were called that because they were seen to quake with the fear of God. They were rather boisterous initially on street corners and such and exhorted people who would listen to them ahead of their time in a number of ways. They did not believe in class. Many of them came from the lower ranks of society and would not bow or, or tip their hat or curtsy. They would not call people sir or master or lord or so forth. Instead, they would stick out their hand and call you friend. Uh, so you can imagine how that went over in very class-conscious Britain. They also were rather egalitarian when it came to gender. Uh, men and women could be leaders in a church and congregation, and women were respected as much as men in many ways. So behaviorally and theologically, they were quite different from other Christian denominations. And if you visit the meeting house, if you've never been to a Quaker meeting house, they're quite different from other churches. For instance, an Anglican church like St. George's, and I'd recommend visiting one right after the other just to see the difference. Anglican churches will have stained glass windows, an altar, a crucifix, an organ perhaps. It's very ornate and, and decorative and gilded. And the Quaker meeting houses are very stripped down. 
They didn't believe in any needless furniture, as they called it, or excess decoration to distract you from what they felt was most important. Turning your mind to the light, one's inner light. To do that, they had very simple, plain meeting houses with simple wooden pews arranged in rows facing each other so that there was no front or back. Everyone faced each other, and so there was no hierarchy, there was no priest or minister leading the congregation. Everyone was equal in that sense. There are very often large plain windows to let in the light, again, simple white walls, and no other real distractions. It's the opposite of almost everything you can think of when you enter other churches. The worship style is quite different as well. People tend to file in on a Sunday morning quietly without saying hello, maybe a nod or a handshake, but they enter quietly. They sit down quietly. And then there's this time of expectant silence where for most of the meeting, usually, there is nothing said, no music or anything of that nature. Occasionally, someone might rise to speak and share some epiphany or deep thought based on scripture or current events with the, the rest of the congregation and then sit back down. Sometimes several people rise to speak, but sometimes no one rises to speak, and the entire meeting could be silent. At the end, an elder in the church signals the end of the service by uh, shaking hands with someone next to them, and people file out quietly just as they came in. Many other events take place in meeting houses as well, from marriages and funerals and so on, but they're all marked by the same solemnity and usually more silent than other services you might find in other places of worship. In some ways, it might strike visitors as um, somewhat like a Buddhist or Hindu service, more meditative, and, and it is like that. There's actually a lot of new attention around Flushing and the early colonial Dutch period of New Netherland and New Amsterdam and the, the mid-Atlantic region in general. This area, you know, evolved very differently than other parts of colonial America, characterized by pluralism compared to New England Puritanism or Anglican Virginia and the South. So my book, City of Gods, Religious Freedom, Immigration, and Pluralism in Flushing Queens, is helping with that, along with uh, another book by uh, a colleague named Evan Hafeli, New Netherland and the Dutch Origins of Religious Liberty, that I also recommend. Even more exciting is a bill sponsored by Congresswoman Grace Meng of Queens and signed by President Obama. The National Park Service is conducting a special study to evaluate resources related to the remonstrance and to determine whether the area around the Quaker Meeting House uh, and Bound House meet criteria to designate it as a site in the National Park Service system. Another reason why visiting the Meeting House will be a very informative and special as you learn more about the neighborhood around Flushing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of our podcasts at GothamCenter.org and sign up to our mailing list to find out about other programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History.